Welcome, adventurer, to the Level Up Board Game Podcast, a show that uses your experiences and opinions to discuss board games and the gaming community. Join the heroes as they conquer perils such as meeples, cards, and miniatures, all in an effort to level up. You're listening to the Level Up Board Game Podcast. Welcome, adventurers, to a special side quest episode of the Level Up Board Game Podcast, episode 91. This is just Patrick. Hey, King Scott here, everyone. Uh, Scott, we've got a cool one today. This this goes all the way back to meeting Sam Stockton from BA Games. He did uh, Cult of the Deep, and our first interaction was at Origins. Randomly in that room was like, hey, you got you guys get in this room, come in this room. And I know why he was calling us. He wanted you because you had a special something. Yeah, 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 yeah. Everyone wanted to be my friend because I had uh, scotch with me. <laughs> Drinking scotch out of plastic bottles. We were the uh, the classy, classy oh, podcast. Man, at we were just dripping class. You know, what's funny is I feel like I know that I ran into other podcast personalities and other YouTube personalities and like they've got stickers and they've got keychains and all these like neat swag things that they're handing out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're walking around with a bottle of scotch. And we're like, yeah, you got a cup? No. <laughs> well, make one. <laughs> that was our shtick. Oh, brother. But that's where we had the chance to meet up with, with Sam. He was setting up a game of Cult of the Deep. And you know, it was kind of weird because it was the first time that we were at a convention in the we're media people now capacity. I know. Right? Yes, and we said, get yes. in this room. And there's, there's media people there. And like, well, what the hell are we supposed to do? You know, and like there's no one's like clicky, you know, but like people are already talking with the people that they know. So we just kind of like go mm-hmm. hover in a corner, sit down, Will's there and like, you know, we start drinking, start drinking yep, some yep. more. Then that game opens up and we're like, okay, yeah, let's get in on it. And that, that's how we met Sam. Yeah, it was just a, such a, a neat experience being on one side of all the goings on and everything and now being like behind the rope and seeing what goes on. It was really a great experience. Yeah, it was it was just great to talk with them, to hang out, play some games, and just relax a little bit after being so busy during those days at Origins. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'll tell you what, I wouldn't trade doing the whole media thing for the conventions, but one thing that is a definite difference is that it is not as fun you know i think you listen to you listen to podcasts you watch youtube videos and anytime that they reference like oh yeah it was at origins i had to do media stuff and it's like man i would love to do that like you're behind the scenes getting the first you know preview looks and stuff and you know what it's work like there was there was at least three hours one day at origins that i just sat upstairs and edited just yeah, edited. Yeah. And it's like, man, I could be down there playing these new games. It's, it's not all it's cracked up to be. It, it is, it's kind of working. You get to, sh- you know, shake hands or have a deeper conversation with some publishers, but so what? Like, <laughs> you don't get to go like see everything and all the entertainment like you might like to. Oh, well, maybe that's for another day. Today we're talking Forges of Ravenshire. That we are. Now, I got a chance to play this on uh, TTS. You got a chance to see it in person, I believe. Wasn't yeah. that right? Mm-hmm. We saw it way back at Gen Con, saw it again at PAX in Philadelphia, and then played it with you and Ryan as well. We were uh, hammering that one out on TTS. Sam actually joined us for that one, which was really cool. Got to see some of the changes since summer. And now it's set to launch on the starter of Kick. 
the starter of kick. Is that going to be listed on the book of faces or the grams of Insta? Let's do it this way. How about, uh, do you want to do the walkthrough or do you want me to? I've only got it one time on TTS. Why don't you give us the walkthrough? Because I think you have a little more handle on the rules. Okay. And then when we come back, we'll do a, sort of a first impressions 8-bit breakdown adventures. This means we have played it. That does not mean that we have played it enough to give it a a true, genuine review. You know, we are of the opinion that if you're going to review a game and talk about a game, you should play it for five, six times, multiple player counts. We don't have that under our belts. And it's hard to do that for a preview game like this. So we're going to call this a First Impressions 8-Bit Breakdown. All right, well, let's get to it. Designed by Sam Stockton, published by BA Games, and coming to Kickstarter in April, Forges of Ravenshire has players assume the role of blacksmiths, crafting items, competing to become the most prestigious smith in all of Ravenshire. Now, this is a competitive game for one to four players that plays in about an hour to an hour and a half. To begin the game, set up the main board, which depicts Ravenshire and the various locations that you can visit, each seated with a couple of dice. You'll also set up the guild token market, which you can acquire to add to your tableau, as well as the contracts, which are like the items that you're competing to craft. And you'll play some title cards, which are basically community objectives, face up to the side. Each player gets their own fold-out inset player board, which is used for tracking the resources that you're going to be acquiring, the guild powers that you've obtained, and of course, the items that you're crafting. Now, Forges plays over the course of three phases, gathering, production, and end of round. Now, a lot of the meat of the turn is found in that gathering phase in which you'll be placing a die in the location, carrying out its action, then removing a die from a location, carrying out its action as well. So what are the actions? Simple. You can acquire a new item to attempt to craft. You can recruit guild members, which are tiles that go to your tableau and your player board. And you can upgrade your forge, making it more efficient to convert and produce resources. Notably, though, each of the actions that you're going to do is also going to produce resources based on the die that you've placed or removed. Now on to the production phases where you're going to be using the dice in your hand to activate portions of your player board forge. This is where you'll have the opportunity to produce and convert even more resources in order to complete those juicy contracts that you've acquired. Plus, this phase is where you have the chance to activate a guild, getting the base guild bonus plus any bonuses from guild tiles that you've added to the tableau. Finally, the end of round phase is where players are going to have the opportunity to score those public objectives. Then everyone re-rolls the dice in hand in preparation for the next round. At the end of four rounds, players add up the gold that they've accumulated throughout play, plus they can exchange remaining resources for more, and whoever has the highest total wins the game. Of course, this brief walkthrough doesn't cover the entire game. No, Forges includes the options of asymmetric player powers, a need for mystic crafting materials, and much, much more. But we hope to give you a general sense of play in our walkthroughs, and I hope this gave you an idea of what Forges of Ravenshire is going to feel like when it hits your table. Now let's see how we felt about it while it was on ours in the 8-bit breakdown of Forges of Ravenshire. Patrick, for going through that breakdown of the Forges of Ravenshire. Mm-hmm. Now, here on Level Up Board Game Podcast, we like to break things down in an 8-bit breakdown, and we started off with the art and components. Now, I'm going to jump in here real quick, because once again, I just have the digital version that I've gotten to see. All right. So, 
right now I'm looking at it and looking at it on BGG, I love what it looks like so far. It looks like a lot of fun. Coming off Cult of the Deep, they have once again gone overboard in the artwork department, which is such an important part of games these days. Mm -hmm. If the visual production of the game is questionable, that can really hurt the replayability of a game. I've seen a lot of questionable artwork in games. Oh, most definitely. So this really looks great. Now, you seeing the actual version of it, what did you think about it? Well, Scott, there's a couple of things that stood out to me, and a lot of it, what I appreciated is that the the component portion facilitates the ease of gameplay. And what I mean by that is this, right? What's the biggest complaint with terraforming Mars? Oh, let me see here. I think it has something to do with the resource cubes and people bumping into Exactly, exactly. Now, that has been remedied over time. What with uh, everybody does a dual-layered board now. In fact, we have said ourselves that, you know what? If it's uh, it's not dual-layered, it sucks. But if it is dual-layered, that's just the standard. That doesn't mean that it's like, oh, wow, this is amazing. That's just the standard now, right? You got to fit that bill. They do it. They got the dual-layered boards, plus the tens and the ones are held by cubes, like the ten. Okay, so if you're getting if you're getting wood and you have fifteen, you've got a sideways cube, almost like a diamond shape, mm-hmm. right? And that's tracking your ones column, and then the straight ones are tracking your tens. It sounds like a lot, believe me, it is EZ. And it extends over to the dice on the board. You're never gonna like accidentally bump the dice or, or move the dice. They're actually inset into the board itself. I really like that as far as components go. Let me tell you what, though. The artwork is nice. It is the old anthropomorphic animals, which are ever popular. I like the overview on the board. Everywhere that you can go, yes. like everywhere that you're placing and pulling dice from, they look like the thing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Aside from that, you've got... Uh, a. You've got the different colored dice. You've got tons of cards in this one. I don't think that there's anything that's going to fall short of the standard or exceptional. So let's move to theme and immersion. We are blacksmiths. We're blacksmiths in this, I think, Root Everdell setting-ish, right? It's it's a critter yeah. world. Yeah, that's a good way of doing it. Okay, so you've got some critters coming and saying, hey, I got to go slay some beasts and I need some better armor. I need a better axe. And they come to you. They come to you. You're trying to be the best blacksmith in Ravenshire. You're firing up your forge. You're trying to produce these things. That's the game here. That's our theme. How do we feel about the theme and the immersion in Forges of Ravenshire? All right. So the theme of this game is it's the friendly little animals. It's fun. It's very easy to get into. I sometimes get a little hesitant about the happy little animals theme, but more times than not, I'm sadly incorrect, and they are delightful games to play. Yeah, yeah. Um, Now, Immersion is where this game gets me, because this is one of those games where you have to build up a recipe to build certain things. Right. And those kind of games suck me in. Making sure I have all the ingredients I need to complete something, yeah, I'm a sucker for it. But I get completely focused on one thing, I need to build that axe. That's the axe I need to do. Everyone else is doing everything else. I end up losing badly and not even completing that axe. <laughs> but I had a great time doing it. And that's the thing with me. I get immersed in that type of game there where you're trying to get all the resources together to complete one of those recipes. 
it's just one of those things I really, truly enjoy. And I really get focused on that there. Mm-hmm. So I I was really happy with it. Yeah, me too, Scott. I, I like the look of the game. To me, though, the theme of being the blacksmith, I thought it was more of a mechanical immersion. You said something about like, you know, you're focused on building the axe and trying to gather the appropriate mm-hmm. things for it. That's where I got into this one, too, is the actual pulling of the levers in Ravenshire. That's what had me immersed, the gameplay of it, not so much the the theme. There isn't a story to be told. You know, you're not going to find flavor text all over the place and you're not going to learn right. more about Ravenshire, the land. You're going to be playing this game, right? What caught me was the definite sense of progression. You can do things in round two that you couldn't do in round one. Right. And you can yes, do things yes. after that you that you couldn't do before. You do feel more powerful, especially with that guild board where you're adding tiles and you're activating that board. And it's like, oh, I used to not get much of anything for this. Now it's like, wow, you, you, you got to like, the, the vault isn't big enough to hold all the stuff that you're getting for it. I like that in this one. Yes, that is something that is very, very cool with this, how it builds and you get more and more prestige as you go along creating things. So yeah, that's a great, great point there. Well, bit number three, we talk complexity. We want to know, is this game hard to pick up, to learn, to grok? Is it easy? What do you think, Scott? Complexity. It's not overly complex. Mm-hmm. Uh, the dice mechanism is quite easy to pick up. Yeah. And the ability to manipulate them is a great device built into the game. Mm-hmm. So I really love getting that. I mean, sure, you're going to roll the dice. You're going to look at it and like, oh, crap, I can't do anything. But wait, I can start moving things around here and adjusting them. And it just opens up a whole new world there. But it's not a world that makes it that much more difficult. It's just a nice little add-on to it to make it more attainable for your goals. Okay, okay. Uh, So I I really like that. So yeah, it's not very complex. One read through the rules, going back over, picking up like this point, this point, this point, you should be ready to go. Yeah, there's really a couple things at play here. The dice selection, which uh, Mm -hmm. adventurers think Raiders of the North Sea. Uh, the the whole place one pick one up in this case, you know yep. it's you're gonna do two things uh, that's essentially what you're doing with your dice you've got to build your tableau um, well I said two things building the tableau is kind of a, a side thing the other one though is the uh, the resource conversion to me the the most complex thing is okay wait a minute how am I gonna get steel how am I getting mithril yeah. again like trying to think what do I need and then reverse engineer okay in order to do that I need two of these and in order to get two of these I need four of those so how do I get four of those that's fun I like doing that in a game but sometimes that can come off as complex if you're teaching this to a non-gamer and they have to do that with their brain power Mm, that's gonna that's gonna feel complex to them. I think for your average gamer, that this is gonna come off as uh, as medium weight, maybe slightly on the more difficult side of medium, but medium. But I think that whenever you do teach them and they have that moment where everything clicks, mm-hmm. they're gonna really f- enjoy it. And I think it's one of those games that is kind of like a speed bump of getting into the hobby. Where once you get over this one, oh. Bring on something else. I'm ready to go. I'm I'm into this hobby now. And it's a it's a great entry there into getting into heavier games then. See, I would have called this more, uh, not so much a speed bump. I would have thought of this as like a further down the road stepping stone because of things like the, uh, the dice, uh, the pips on the matter, the color of the matters. You're taking one, you're putting one down. 
Uh, and that's just a portion of it. That's a portion of the round plus activating the tablet plus the resource conversion plus you have to like there's a lot going on here. None of it's overly complex, like you said, but I would have thought of it maybe further down the road, like, OK, after you've learned Raiders and after you've learned uh, this other re- furnace, you know, some other resource conversion mm-hmm. type of game, then this one combines, you know, a couple of the things that you've learned before. It's got a bit going on if you haven't played things like that. But again, it's you know it's not a lacerta here. It's it's not gonna it's not gonna burn your brain. Yes, you're right with the stepping stone. I just chose the word wrong. That's why you're the brains behind this podcast. Oh, oh, right, right. Scott, let's talk rule book and learning curve adventures. We're gonna do you dirty. We didn't see the rule book. We were taught by Sam. Nope. We hope it's fantastic. Give it a look. It's gonna be live on Kickstarter. See what it looks like and make that decision for yourself. I think just talking with him about the game, his excitement about it really does say a lot about what's going to be in that box with the rules and everything. So I think it's going to be very, very impressive. Let's hope so. Let's hope so. But Mm -hmm. what we can talk to is the learning curve. And it's not so bad. I had that like, aha moment in game one, where you start to see the like the areas of interconnectivity. And when everything clicks, man, it got me fired up to play again. It's like, oh, now I see if I if I could just produce more of this, then I can make more of that, which will lead me to mithril, which means that I can make those extra point weapons. Oh, I get it. Let me restart. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, the guild, that guild board. Oh, man, learning curve, figuring out like, okay, do I go wide on the guild board? So no matter what dice I'm taking, I'm going to be able to activate something decent. Or do I go deep in one area, purple or yellow? Like, so every time I activate it, I'm getting multiple things. That's a meaty decision, right? And that's, that is part of the learning curve of the game. I, I thought that was pretty cool. Well, my problem was that I had that same aha moment, mm-hmm. but that was the aha moment as to how to roll dice on TTS. So I didn't really get a chance to get to that aha moment. But yeah, the learning curve, though, once seeing how things go together, it does really work nicely there. But once again, I have the whole hurdle of getting through the TTS and like uh, I scroll in, scroll out, and I'm doing all sorts of different things. I don't know what you guys can see that I'm doing. I am like a little kid just poking things here, trying to figure out what does what. (laughs) So we don't do a Kickstarter as a podcast. First of all, we don't have the audience. I'm confident that we would not hit any of our goals. <laughs> you know, actually, I think we would be pleasantly surprised uh, as, as we have grown tremendously and downloads are, are, are going up and up and up. That's neither here nor there. But if we ever do a Kickstarter, one of the goals, one of the targets is going to be this money is being allocated to Scott to take two weeks off from work so that he can still cover his bills and he's going to spend six Six hours a day becoming proficient with Tabletop Simulator. <laughs> Maybe that's it. We'll, we'll do a Kickstarter and our goal will be $400 or $800, something simple. And uh, that's going to be what it's for. Well done. Okay. All right. All right. Back to it. Let's talk the meat. The meat. What's the part of this game that gets you on the edge of your seat and leaning in and really soaking up all the fun inside? It's in a few places here, and it's it's got it in multiples. Let's talk about the meat, Scott. I got to say it's the dice for me because that's the main thing that's really making this cart move. You can't really do anything till you see what happens with those dice, 
and what you're going to be able to do with them. Mm -hmm. Like you said, as far as getting the things and upgrading to other resources, the guild board, all that kind of stuff like that, there's so much more. But for me, it's mainly seeing what you're going to be working with each turn. Right, right. That was the first thing I put down too, is the dice selection that matters tremendously. I think mm -hmm. that the guild tableau, uh, like I mentioned before, the whether you're going to put like tiles in multiple different guilds, or if you're going to go deep in one, that's a big decision that you have to make. Oh, yeah, yeah. What are you going to focus on? Like most players are going to be able to produce a bit of everything, but most players are going to be specifically good at one thing. Like, okay, because I've done this in that guild, I'm extra good at making steel, for example. Mm -hmm. That's going to shape your play, and that's going to make you pick certain items that you want to craft that other players might not. And I think that I think that maybe that's why the meat is so widespread here, is because while the biggest lever to pull is the dice selection, there are still a lot of ancillary levers that are a that collectively are a huge portion of playing the game well. True, true, very true. And that brings us right to bit number six, the replayability and variability. We've got tons of variables, Scott. Guild tiles, the orders, the items that people want. You know, build me this axe, build me this mithril shirt. The dice, their values, right? They're, they're all different colors. They'll have different values. You can even play with asymmetric powers for factions if you choose to play with the faction boards that have the asymmetric side. There's a lot here to keep you coming back. Oh, most definitely. The dice mechanism, like I said before, is you will never play the same game twice. That alone. Um, yeah. Having to switch your strategy on a dime, depending on what is rolled, really keeps you on your toes and really keeps you coming back to this because you can look at it and play it and play a completely different game the next time. But still, you're going to have that whole idea of, I need to focus on this, or I need mm -hmm. to focus on that. Really helps for the replayability of this game. And even if things do start to feel like, you know what, even if the dice are slightly different, it's all to the same end. Not necessarily, because you have those community goal cards. First person to mm -hmm. do five swords. First person to do three things of armor. Like, that's going to shape the direction for everyone. Oh, I'm better at making mithril, but we're all trying to make swords. I'm better yeah. at getting a uh, whole bunch of steel or I built up this guild, but we're all trying to make shields. You know what I mean? That That's going right. to change the direction. I, I thought that was a great decision. And this is the one we always hate to talk about. And that's I love downsides. it. Oh, I love crapping on games. <laughs> <laughs> what you well, got, Scott? This is more of a personal downside for me mm -hmm. is this is another recipe game for me to enjoy yet be terrible at. I'm going to enjoy it, but I'm going to absolutely suck at this game and have no chance of winning this game whatsoever. That's my personal downside since I only got a chance to really go through it once. Mm -hmm. I'll identify a couple then. One, the, the tracking of your resources. When you're pulling in resources, one of the things that they're trying to do in this game is make resources extremely bountiful. They don't want it to feel like it's not going to be a difficult thing to accumulate resources. And mm -hmm. because of that, you're going to be getting 11 of this one, seven of that one, right? And you track them with the cubes. And like I said, they're inset. So that is easy. It is easy to track. They made it as user-friendly as possible for what could right. have been a nightmare. Oh, that yeah. said, there is still a bit of tracking, moving that cube to the right, moving that cube to the left, bumping this one up, bumping this one down, you know, basically like a, what do they call that? A mixer board that the DJ's got and they're 
oh yes, doing all yes, those yes. levers. Yeah, there are times where I think it's going to feel like that, which which the the buzz word for that sort of game is fiddly. Now, I didn't find it fiddly. But I can see where where some folks are going to say, yeah, it's just too much uh, moving things around right. for my liking. The other one, and I'll I'll bring up a little story here. My buddy Mike, uh, you, who you know very well, he loves yes. Clank. He loves himself some Clank. But the one thing that he doesn't like is when somebody runs in, grabs an artifact, and runs out, right? Because he wants to be able to do everything. He wants to do it all yeah. in a game. He wants to get all the secrets off the board and get the biggest artifacts and the coolest cards and make sure that all the tomes are gone. He wants to see everything a game has to offer in each play, right? Mm -hmm. But you can't. You can't in Clank. There are a lot of games like that. A game like Dominion. Oh man, my engine was just getting going and somebody bought right, the last yeah. province. Forges of Ravenshire kind of felt like you're going to be able to do just about everything you want to do. Which mm -hmm. is fine. I think some folks are really going to like that. They're going to find that satisfying. Mike is going to look at that and say, oh, I love that. Someone like me, I want a little bit of a – not tying in with our bit number five, but I want some meat left on the bone. I want there to be some things that I couldn't do because okay. then it makes it feel more important when I select my strategic path. You know what? I am going to commit to this guild, this type, and I'm going to be really good at making weapons. Yeah, I'm going to suck at armor, but I'm going to be awesome at weapons. No, mm -hmm. you can be pretty good at almost everything. Bit number eight. Let's bring it on home, Scott. Was it fun? And who's it for? Yes, it was fun. I really enjoyed this type of game. As I said before, the whole idea of the resource management, getting everything out, filling those orders for people. I really enjoy this. This could easily be for anyone. The theme and the mechanics are easy enough for people to grasp that it could be played by just about anyone. Like we said, you can make it a little bit more difficult for those that have already played a lot of games, putting those asymmetrical abilities in there as well, mm -hmm. too. Well, I kind of agree. When when I think of who it's for, I think it, you know, you're saying just about anyone can dive in. I think it's just about anyone who has played a handful of games. So we both think that the game's plenty approachable. I liked it. I, I like mm -hmm. dice selection in games. I like seeing a tableau fill out. Think, uh, now this is nothing like Wingspan, but man, it's fun when you've got three or four birds in one column in Wingspan and you activate that column or th that row rather. Oh, yeah. And it's like, boom, 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 boom. You get a little bit of that going here too, especially in that tableau for the for the guilds. Oh, yeah. I like the theme. I like the artwork. It's playful. Personally, I think a lot of folks are going to be glad to get their hands on Forges of Ravenshire. Now, who's it for? It's a step up from base dice selection mechanisms from those types of games. And my mind thought, you know what? If you mixed up Alien Frontiers, you remember Alien Frontiers? Oh, yes, yes. Okay, and Raiders in the North Sea, which we, we okay. actually okay, yeah. place and pick. If you mix those up and then you stack some resource management on top of it, that's kind of what we got here. And you know, those are two very, very good games. And I could see Forges flying really high just because of that. Well, adventurers, you know how our side quests go. The 8-Bit Breakdown complete. That means we get a chance to chat with the designer Sam Stockton from BA Games. You ready, Scott? I most definitely am. Scott, we're back in the visitor reception room. This is, this is kind of nice. Yes, it is nice having this reception room now in our compound. Uh, I like what you've <laughs> done with the place. Nice molding across the ceiling. I mean, good touch. Classy, classy that way. Speaking of classy, today we've got Sam Stockton from BA Games in said reception studio. Sam, welcome to the show. 
Well, thank you, but I've never been in, ever introduced as classy before, but I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> we got to start right here. Adventures want to know. Any relation to John Stockton? Uh, I wish as a child. I, mm. I wrote him a letter, and he actually sent me a signed photograph saying, Is hey. right? He did. Wow. Do you still have the photograph? I do not, unfortunately, because oh. I, I'm really sad about it because all of us wrote – because I'm one of five brothers, and so – Three of us wrote him saying, hey, I'm not sure, whatever. And so he sent each of us a signed photo, you know, and we've always been a fan of John Stockton. So <laughs> it was sad. Michael Jordan was the hated enemy at the time. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Constantly denying my bro, John Stockton, the title. But, you know, it happens. You know what, Sam, I was thinking about it earlier today about, you know, what are we going to talk about? What do we have in common? And you know what? The the first or well, last year's origins uh, was the first encounter with the Stockton that I had. And it was uh, they had that little like, I don't know if it was a media room or if you guys just reserved some space. All I know is we got in there and Scott and Hungry Gamers started drinking. <laughs> <laughs> we got the idea to play Cult of the Deep. You're setting up, yeah, yeah, come on. We got room for a ton of ton of people with this. And I got in on it and I played horribly. And you knew it too, because you were looking over and oh, who's the person that's like the accomplice? Uh there's the faithful, the heretic, and the cabal. So I think I was the I was the heretic, if I'm not mistaken. You were like, yeah. heretic, you gotta you gotta start playing correctly. And you were like looking at <laughs> my way, and I was like, oh no, what am I doing wrong here? <laughs> I remember that night vividly. <laughs> yeah, it, it was wonder. Scott doesn't remember it. Scott was uh, passed out by ten thirty. Oh, hey, 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 hey! <laughs> Apparently, it was really good. Whatever he was drinking, he, out yeah. of our, uh, we didn't have any glasses, so we're drinking them out of plastic water bottles. We're drinking scotch out of them. So yeah. It was a really tasteful, classy night there. <laughs> From there, we had the opportunity to meet up with you again. You hosted some media folks at Gen Con. And Scott, I know you weren't at Gen Con, but Ryan yep. and I had the opportunity to go out to a, to a hotel. Yes, he invited us to a hotel. Yeah, it was. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so he's got the whole lobby area with all these tables set up, and like Devin's there, and uh, Sam, uh, uh, Nick Fournier from uh, Mega Pulse. He was in there. We're all playing these games, and you got the chance to play Blood Rage with us, Scott. I don't think I told you this story. I had the card that in wherever the slaughter's going on, you can play the card, and it says, you know, you gain two points for everyone that died here. I have lost games of Blood Rage because I play my big card and somebody plays the counterspell. They, you know what? Cancel mm -hmm. the stack. We're not going to. So I thought I was making a next level Blood Rage move. I was like, you know what? There's like 18 boys dying here. I have the card, but I don't want it to get countered. So I'm going to play this one. Somebody else will pop the counterspell and then I'll bam, you know, I'll get to show my uh, my full house, right? Oh, it didn't work out that way. In fact, somebody else had that card too, and it was Sam, and he played it, and no one had the counter spell. So I played my thing that gave me like three points. He pulls in 28 or something absurd and takes, uh, took the Blood Rage. I'll never forget that game of Blood Rage. It was fantastic. And the uh, the catering provided by the fine folks at BA Games. It was uh, It's hard to come by food when you're at a convention, and, oh, he fed us good. It was nice. That's the, that's the one thing at conventions – it, it, your perspective changes once you become a publisher or even a media person. Like mm -hmm. you don't go to conventions the same way you used to beforehand. Cause before you're like, Ooh, look at the cool stuff. I do whatever I want. But when you're working, it's like when you're working, it's like, yeah, it's, it's cool and fun. But at the same time, you're still working. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes you don't a have a chance to, to grab food or to do different things. So 
that was kind of our goal was or slap some noobs at blood rage. You know, you know, you don't get that opportunity that often. So you got to <laughs> let him make do what he can. So that's kind of what we did was we invited everyone out to the hotel, you know, back to my room, had a party there. Okay. Okay. That's enough of all these story things that go on whenever I'm not around. Because we all know nothing happens when I'm not around. So <laughs> let's get back to what we're doing here. You've got a background with creating games. This isn't the first one. What are a couple major lessons you learned from the other game that we played with you, Cult of the Deep, that helped in creating Forges of Ravenshire? So there's been a few lessons learned uh, for sure. The, the first lesson was a positive that we could make a game and find people to play it, and we could find people who wanted that game. Mm -hmm. So that was a big confidence booster to say, hey, maybe we could do it again. So honestly, that's a positive lesson we've learned mm -hmm. is, you know, if you do things right, you build the crowd, you build the community, and you create a quality game. Now, it may not be for everyone, but I'll die on the hill that Colt is a quality production of a game. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. I, the production of that thing was just top-notch. I wouldn't know. You never sent us a copy, so there's that. <laughs> uh, might need to fix that in post. Maybe we uh, sent you a copy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my bad. Uh, didn't know that. We got to um, balls. We got to uh, That's fine. I, I understand. You know, you didn't tell me what kind of podcast this was. <laughs> Look, we have you on because we want stuff. All right. That that's the answer. No, you were saying one positive <laughs> lesson to this point is that you you get this confidence boost and that, hey, we're good at this. We can do this. We made a quality mm -hmm. production. People wanted it. People are enjoying it. I gather maybe there's some lessons that were uh baptism by fire, some hard lessons learned too. Well, uh there's there's two things we've learned on kind of the more negative side, I guess, or things to learn from. Uh, maybe not negative, but definitely things we had to pivot around. Number one is no one sells your game like you. Mm. So you can't depend on anyone else to sell your game for you. Anyone who has listened to this and has thought about publishing their own game, go in with the mode that there is no silver bullet. Like if I just get on Dice Tower, I will sell thousands of copies. The answer to that is no, that's not how that works. That's all a, a component of there that comes through a lot of effort and hard work. Don't think the Level Up Board Game Podcast is gonna sell all of your games for you, right? You gotta have, it's it's all pieces working together and it's, you are the main linchpin of selling that game. So that's something that we have really taken in stride and have tried to increase our ability to sell ourselves and our games. And then the other lesson was we didn't realize how divided the market is in the board game world. I'm, what do you I'm mean personally, by that? Yeah, so me, I personally consider when I, when I look at the board game market and the, the gaming market as a whole, I always saw it from a perspective that I am what I call an omni-gamer. I mm -hmm. play Dungeons and Dragons as well as Savage Worlds and three or four other RPG systems. Mm -hmm. I play yeah, Warhammer 40,000. I play Conquest, which is not a miniature game. I've played War Machine for like 13 years. <laughs> I also play a lot of board games. I have, you know, a couple hundred now. Like, I play anything that is placed in front of me, I will consume it mm -hmm. one way mm -hmm. or another. Like, it doesn't matter. I Maybe I'm not as tasteful. I don't know. But, like, I love all games. 
Um, doesn't matter kind of where they're all from. I play chess. I, was, I also play Terraforming Mars. I'll play Vitalis Serta games. I'll play Uno. Like, there's a place everywhere for these different games, but I couldn't consume all of it. I was under the assumption that a lot of people were like me, and the answer to that is no. There are some people like me, but most people are actually not. They're very, they're much more focused in their hobbies. So people who are board gamers, they tend to play board. They may dabble here and there, but their primary focus is board games. Card players tend to play card games like Magic mm. the Gathering. And the way you get them to play board games is like Ascension, or you build some deck builders. They'll start dabbling in those, but they still always go back to being Magic the Gathering players. Oh, yeah. Warhammer 40,000 players, miniature players, they play miniature games. They'll dabble. Because I have a group that I've been trying to get board games into more, and they dabble in board games, but they really, really focus on just miniature games. That's what they do. And so I think that new understanding of the market has helped us. And that's true with social deduction games, which is what Cold of the Deep was. Mm -hmm. I was under the assumption that a lot of people would be very open to that style of game because Cold the Deep is a design where we wanted to take social deduction, but wanted to make it smarter. We wanted to go above that. We wanted to make it more board game focused. Yeah, yeah. much oh, more yeah, gaming element in that one. Mm -hmm. So that's why like, there's stuff in the center that you can do. There's different things you can do with it. And I assumed that that would play off really well. but And it has done well. Cold the Deep has done well for itself as a first-time game. And we've had a lot of feedback from from retailers like it. They like selling it. So there's a lot of good pauses that Cold Deep is still rolling, which is good. But in terms of the board game market, I thought it would make a bigger impact. And the answer was no, no, it didn't. And it's because a lot of people were like, social deduction, gross. Don't show me that kind of mechanic in my game. Like, I don't no. want this. And no it's, interest it's in deducing the social. No, and people Nothing. were like, how dare you stab me? That's not how this game works. <laughs> Yeah, and that was something, and it's funny you should say that because I was just thinking about playing uh, Cult of the Deep, and I was like, well, it actually felt like a board game with social detection added into it, not the other way around. And it's funny that you were looking at doing that whenever you were designing it. So I yeah. thought it came across that way. But yeah, I could see how people just get that social deduction. Nope, uh, I'm out, I'm out, not mm -hmm. for me. You know, Scott, when I was heavy into magic, I wouldn't touch a board game. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. This is my game time. I am playing magic. And as he's saying, like, oh, there's people that are into this and that, and they'll dabble. I was like, oh, okay, so that's Don. He's the uh, X-Wing and the, the what's the bolt action and whatnot. And every mm -hmm. now and then, he'll play a board game with us. Mm -hmm. But he's a, he's a miniatures guy. You're absolutely right. People are, are sort of, they have their own preference of, of game type. Absolutely. And people will play a lot of stuff, but what do they buy? Mm -hmm. So magic players have an addiction they have, to, they have they have to feed with the cardboard man so like they're hard to get their money out of them because they're too busy buying their stuff only everyone only has so much discretionary income right. and people tend to focus on certain hobby types some of us are crazy and we do a little bit of everything oh yeah, yeah. I, i'm getting back into that plastic crack addiction right now so. <laughs> i've seen you posting pictures so, Sam, somewhere along the line, we've got Call to the Deep out. It's doing well as a first time. You're like, you know what? It's time to get this sophomore game out there. You, I presume this was an idea that you have had. It's not like, okay, we finished one game. Let's start from scratch and make the other. But I don't know that. And 
boy, I tell you, this is a heck of a 180 from stabbing each other as cultists. So, so why Forges of Ravenshire? Tell us a little bit about the inception and the development. Why this game? So that was one thing. Like, I'm an Omni gamer, right? So I, I don't care what I... So certain people have done a really good job. Like Smirk and Dagger Games, for example, Kurt, when he mm-hmm. first started, his games are very take that. They are beautiful. If you want to play a take that game, look up Smirk and Dagger, Cutthroat Caverns. No. <laughs> I love that game to death. Um, but that's what he was, and he was very focused on that, which I talked to him today about it, actually. And he's, he's very glad he did it, but at the same time, Smirk and Dagger come out with a new game as a co-op, and people are like, what is this game? <laughs> and people like to not be pigeonholed and stuff. So we didn't want to mm-hmm. be pigeonholed. We didn't want to be the, oh, we're the social deduction, take that game, guys. Or just the Cthulhu type guys. So, you know, it's interesting is we've heard this line before, actually, from uh, from our good friend Keith over at Thunderworks. He's like, we don't want to be the role player. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, they're making another fantasy game in that world. And that's uh, when we had when we talked to him about Cape May. That was one of the reasons why Cape May came about was he wanted to show that their company can differentiate and be successful. Very mm-hmm. similar. Very similar. Uh, please. So, so that was the thing. On that, and so once we finished Colt, we learned our lessons, thought about the marketplace, thought about where we wanted to go, and also we needed a game that was fun. So that that's one of our big things is the game needs um, basically two major things for us that are important. Number one, the game has to be like the innate sense of doing something in the game has to bring joy. Mm-hmm. So in Colt the Deep. Stabbing someone for 12 damage with six daggers because you rolled it hot. It just feels good, right? You're like, mm, or the that feels the, great. <laughs> all right. Now, the rest of the game may not be to your liking, but rolling the hotness and getting a thing and then stabbing your buddy who thought you were a friend, it's a good moment, right? Speaking my language. So that game needed a moment. So for Ravenshire, was built around the idea of an engine that you would be placing, taking, and then running this engine. So there'd be a series of steps that you would do that then would, would cascade. And the idea of it coming, just being, raising your arms to the sky and having raining resources on you <laughs> to a certain extent. Some turns. Oh, and yeah. and it, it, it feels that way. And it gets to it quickly, which is kind of design on that one. That's number one. It has to have a moment of joy. And then the second thing is it needs to have a good tactile player experience. Called the deep, dual layer boards, lots of textures on things, nice looking dice, beautiful artwork. We did it again with forges, dual layer boards. There's going to be lots of textures on things. It's going to have a really cool play because you get basically a, a player board, right, that you'll unfold. And so the whole like oh, yeah. the idea, it feels good. And the tactile, you're like, yeah, I am ready to play a game. So that's kind of like our two main like things when we do games is, is those two ma- major points. Though, mm-hmm. Forge Ravenshire, when we started it, though, it was originally a Viking game. Oh, yeah? Was this during the Viking craze? And it was like, oh, we're going to ride this wave. And now Vikings are, we'll say, uh, out of vogue. Uh, they're not the cool click anymore. At some point, you decided on the anthropomorphic animals, which is always, you know, I'm always going to play a game that has little critters, <laughs> you know, cute critters. So it, it was twofold. One, 
with the Viking game wasn't because of necessarily the Viking craze. It was mm-hmm. more of I love blacksmithing. Mm. Blacksmithing is, a, is a, a hobby I would do more if I wasn't playing with cardboard. Um, Very cool. Because I've done it a few times, but I want to do I want to do more of it. But one day, <laughs> what it is is you guys ever heard of the Ulfbert? Bless you. Oh. <laughs> Scott's got I something ringing his head. I think I have. I can't put my finger on it, though. If you ever get a chance, there's a Nova documentary. And I think you can find it on YouTube for free. It's just a 48, 50-minute um, documentary about the Ulfbert. And what it is, it's a Viking sword. And mm-hmm. they are marked. They're specifically called, they have Ulfbert on them. Now, there are a series of Ulfberts, and they have them, and they're in better condition than they should be. They're of a higher quality than they should be. And the records show that they were known to be these swords that were sought after. Like if someone had one, they were a great warrior or they were blessed by the gods. Like they were awesome to have this sword. And so they were going through and studying it. And they found out the Ulfbert actually has a higher um, steel, a better quality steel than other swords of the time period. And they expect, they suspect that there is probably some technology from the Middle East, which is crucible steel, which is different than kind of the old school style of steel. And so that's where kind of like the legend of Ulfberg comes from. But also it leads to when you make a sword, right? You have iron. Iron's not steel until carbon is introduced to it. If you put mm-hmm. too much carbon, you get cast iron, where it's really hard, but really brittle. Mm-hmm. But Sam, we're from Pittsburgh. This is the land of uh, like the steel, country. right? You guys all you know learned, stuff. You learned that in kindergarten. Like kindergarten, like, all right, kids, why do we have the Steelers? This is why. You, you get your <laughs> peanut butter and jelly. You get your side of carrots and your side of steel. That was lunch every day. <laughs> and they have you lick it and be like, what quality is this? <laughs> <laughs> we can smell it and tell you what district it came from. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is District 3. Uh looked like they use a... That's a 2.6% carbon, uh, 5% nickel. And so, so the steel would do So what they would do though, is it needs a carbon source. So what if you put a bear claw into the iron that you're smelting? It's a carbon source. Yep. And the sword would be better, which obviously means the spirit of the bear is empowering the sword. Well, that makes perfect sense. Mm Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the, I, they think some of that where that came from was introduction of these things would actually make better weapons. And okay. so kind of roundabout, they eventually found out that carbon sources, <clears throat> they didn't call them that, but would provide better steel and things. And so the whole idea of the game was that's what you were doing. You were putting bear claws and different things into the game in order to make better weapons. And you were imbuing them with mystical powers and then you would then sell those to um, to raiders or to raiding groups who would then go fight monsters. And then your reputation as a smith would increase based on the level of monsters they defeat. Well, like this guy's selling me the good stuff. I'm going back to him. Yeah. And so you become your building reputation as a smith. And the more reputable you get, that's how you win the game. You become the most renowned smith of, you know, the land. So why the switch and to I have critters? this uh, bookmark right now on YouTube while you're talking, looking it up. I have it here. Highly, rec- highly recommend it. It's a great, <laughs> it's a great watch. And the blacksmith on there is from Wisconsin. 
And the okay. guy knows his stuff. He is so good at what he does. It's so I'm cool. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, it's great. He actually recreates one. He goes through the process. It's so cool. Anyways, um, so, but the problem is that game sounds a lot like Champions of Midgard. <laughs> oh, I do this stuff and I go fight monsters and then I gain gold reputation because I fought these monsters, which Champions of Midgard is a great game. If anyone got a chance to play it. But also, that's the thing about cult we found out, and that's another lesson learned. It was too real. The artwork's beautiful, but people are like, oh, I like this artwork better. And we're like, this is amazing. Like, this is high quality art. Like, this wasn't cheap. Like, this is great. Mm-hmm. And people are like, I prefer this one. And they're looking at a cartoon character. And we're like, oh, no, but, real. I, I like the very real visuals of the game, but I, I can I can understand where you're coming from. I think that's very, very popular. Think like Shem Phillips games, the artist that he uses. Everything's a cartoon. And you know what? Those games look great. You know, people love that package. Also, it's more accessible. So mm-hmm. that's something that we learned market wise. Right. Cthulhu is very focused and very niche and people won't branch into it unless they're Cthulhu types. By going with a, a art style that's a little more happy and less mm-hmm. age restrictive, we would call it, it's much more accessible for people. Sure. Whether you like it or not, people have different preferences for art styles. And something that's more cartoony or more cute is much more available for people. And so we actually, at Gen Con a couple of years ago, what kind of happened when we were developing this game is we were sitting, we were next to Chai. And we counted the number of times someone would walk by and say, oh, that's cute, <laughs> referring to like their dice trays and stuff. Right. And we counted how many times that happened and how many purchases were made and who purchased them. Mm-hmm. A guy would walk by, look at it, and be like, eh, occasionally buy it, whatever. Sometimes a girl would buy it. But whenever a girl said that was cute, the boyfriend would immediately turn around and pretty much buy on the spot. <laughs> Look yep. at you and your uh, guerrilla marketing strategies here. Well, we're just sitting there, like, we're just counting. And it was amazing the amount of, we're like, holy crap. And then we also started looking at other games. Like, who's playing these games? Especially, like, KTBG as a kid's table board games, kid's tabletop board games. Yeah, they had, the one that we did, it was not a kid's game. And I don't remember. It was a But they, they, did creature, they do Creature Comforts, Maple Valley. That's the one. Yeah, they do Creature Comforts. Uh-huh. So they have a very cute art style, right? Mm-hmm. But the games are... Fairly robust. They are. And so how could they get away with that? So for us, we were finding that people were okay with playing cuter games as long as they were like that. But a lot of people would not even attempt to play more serious games. Mm. You have an impression. You have this preconceived notion prior to even playing it, what it's going to be based on the look of a game. And and that's fair. I think we all mm-hmm. do that. You know, I've walked past games that might look like a spreadsheet, and I'm like, oh, yeah, no, no interest. And then I play the game, and I'm like, wow, this, this is actually fantastic. I really mm-hmm. like this. I can 100% understand that. But but we found, though, it's not equal. So people, oh. they, they see a serious game, a lot of people just back away from it. Mm-hmm. They see a cute game, they don't want to do with it, but if someone else, if they're willing to play with someone else, because board games are inherently social, right. if someone's willing to play with them, they'll play it. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it's cute. They end up playing it. Oh, the mechanics in this are good. Oh, I like how this works. This is fun. These spreadsheets are fantastic. And so that's kind of what is happening is so people are willing to kind of like make adjustments for that. And so that's sure. accessibility. Understandable. 
Now, we love talking with you, Sam, and, and we're very thankful you're taking your time and everything talking with us. But, hey, let's cut to the chase here. Uh-oh. You got a Kickstarter coming out for Forges. What's going to be in the box? What can we expect whenever we see that, hey, VA Games just launched a new Kickstarter. Here's what you see. What's going to be out there for us? The Kickstarter will have the, the base game, which mm-hmm. will have our high-quality production. So it'll have the, the dual-layered player boards that fold in half. That's um, awesome. Along with cubes for all the resources um, that match your color. It will have a main board, which will not be double-layered, but all of the dice locations are cut out. Oh, yeah. okay. So it's only a single layer, but it's a little thicker, but you can, the dice will fit into those slots. Oh, so that's nice. Mm-hmm. So it's like having dual-layer, but using the table as a cheat code. Yep, yep, I like it, yep. It'll have all of our cards with our artwork. It'll have all the tokens, love, and all the cardboard that goes along with it. Mm-hmm. They're also, yes, oh, so that's what they were working on right now, is there will be an insert. So oh, there'll be a, at least a basic level insert that will put the stuff. It's not too fancy, but it'll hold, these these cards go here. It'll organize the game so, oh, it's, easier to, so it's easier to, to set up or take down. Right. And it'll also have two trays for resources. Okay. So we'll have two longer trays that you'll be able to put resources in so that you can just pull those out and put them on the size of the table, and you'll be able to Perfect. pull out your resources. You're ready so, to go. Now, that's going to be the, the basic game. Now, are there going to be any stretch goals associated with this With whenever like everyone starts throwing their money at you to get this great game? What are some of the goals that you're trying to accomplish that are the stretch goals set up? Uh, most of the stretch goals that we do, we do for everyone. So mm-hmm. doesn't matter what level you back, as okay. long as you're back for at least a base game, right. all stretch goals are for everyone. And so stretch goals would be like including more guild tiles, which is how you build your engine mm-hmm. in yep. the game. There will also be, um, we're planning on more what we call assistant cards, which are basically player powers. Okay. So okay. there's a little bit of asymmetry and now, depending on what character you get, will give you some different focus or different uh, special powers or abilities in, in the game. Those are the two main ones that we're doing that. The contracts are pretty balanced. We don't want to mess with that too much. Mm-hmm. So basically, assistant cards and guild tiles will be the majority of the stretch goals, as mm-hmm. well as we'll probably throw in one or two nice stretch goals where we'll add some of that texture and tactile okay. thing. So like um, it's called UV spotting. Where you kind of put like a gel nice. and you dry it, yeah, right. But it's got that sheen to it, and it's, it's mm-hmm. textured too. And so we'll be putting some of that in the game on the card specifically. That's nice that you have the Kickstarter set up that way. So many of them, you look at a Kickstarter, and then there's this extra thing you can add on here, and then add on here, and then, and then you could back it for this one here, or you could back it for this and get this and back that. And by the time you're done, you need like a graph showing like what line goes to what box you want. And You'd be like Charlie and always sunny this, with that board. Yes, like, no, no, <laughs> go this direction. And it, it, it's nice to have something simple and straightforward. And I think that's another hurdle right there that you're taking away from the gamers and everything. Just saying, hey, we got a great game here. Here's what we got. So that that's that sounds fantastic. Yeah, and you can see it now. Um, we're currently backing Battletech. Oh, yes. doing really well in Kickstarter. So is but everybody. my gosh, 
but like oh, oh yeah. the the tier levels like well actually if you go with this one you get more per this but the i ran this, into that choose. with the clan invasion and i added one small box on that was going to come in a second order so that backed up my whole first order to go with the second order so it was like two years till it came. It's like oh, he had to God. wait till wave two to get his box You're because like, of one little add-on. Like, yeah. Gosh darn it! <laughs> but it's just that's how that works. So we will try to make it a little easier for people overall. Now we will have deluxe add-ons. We got metal okay. coins. Oh, oh man. gotta we gotta have those. We got like wooden resource tokens. So mm-hmm. instead of being cardboard, it'll be wood, and it'll be nice printed and stuff. And then we have some crazy stuff. Um, that we're adding out. So when we did call crazy, the you say? Oh yes. <laughs> so for Cold of the Deep, we did a, it. Was called the Herald of the Deep Pledge. We had four of them. They were a custom wooden box with handmade dice. So we had Dawnbreaker <laughs> dice make them. They were like handmade. So the Blood Mage had a, actually a little scroll that they wrote on that they inserted into the die with blood drops around it. Like, and every single character has their own dice. Got it. Yeah. Make them unique that way. So, so the necromancer had like this green swirl that was glow in the dark and UV. So, but but when you looked at it, it was like bright green, like a, like an ethereal green. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we had all kinds of, like we had 3d printed little treasure piles with daggers in it for like the merchant. Oh, Um, wow. So, like, all the dice were custom and handmade. We're doing that again for Forza Ravenshire. I was going to say, you got dice in here. <laughs> we love dice. Dice are a thing. <laughs> so, we'll have custom-made dice. Uh, we'll have, again, a custom wooden box. We'll also, we're, we're fine-tuning it, but as of right now, we're thinking about adding, like, semi-precious stones for the resource trackers. <laughs> oh. or doing it where it's like oh steel is this like it's like a basically a steel cube and then okay. and then the um like the charcoal would be like black onyx mm-hmm. and then the ore would be like maybe like a polished granite like wow and so this cubes then would match the different resources and stuff so we're thinking along those lines as well you know, some you're, what you're doing here is you're getting some poor uh, husband or wife killed by their spouse for spending <laughs> big bucks for precious gems in their game. <laughs> eh, you know, it's, it's all about like there's a certain level where it's just like, you know what? Why not? Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. You can yeah. always push it off as being, honey, it's an investment. Mm-hmm. I can sell this later. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, Sam, thank you so much for spending some time with us today. I'm going to give you a chance to plug a little bit about where we can learn more. Obviously, the Kickstarter page, but where we can learn more about BA games. But first, you came on Level Up. Scott, you know what that means. I'm sorry, Sam. I'm so sorry for oh, what happened. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Buddy, we got to give you the chance to level up. We're going to give you the lightning round. Ready. Eight questions. You're set, Scott? Here's the deal. I'm all set. Sam, I'm going to ask you eight questions. I want the first thing that comes to your mind. Don't overthink it. It is timed. Are you ready to attempt to level up? All right, here we go. <laughs> okay. I'll start it whenever you ask the first question. What's the best beverage on the planet? Root beer. What's your favorite character from Forges of Ravenshire? Badger. If I pick up the controller to face off against Acid Man, Flash Man, and Wood Man, hoping to defeat Dr. Wily, what game am I playing? Mega Man. What is your favorite board game of all time? Blood Rage. 
If I'm watching a movie that ends with the line, where we're going, we don't need roads. What movie did I just watch? No idea. What's the better birthday party? Going to the arcade with free play or the roller skating rink? Arcade with free play. Can you name a Pittsburgh pirate? It's Barry Bonds. <laughs> Why is your logo a ram? Uh, because we watch too much Barnyard Commandos as children. Boom. <laughs> wow. Barnyard Commandos. Sam, let me tell you what. We do level back episodes where we focus on some older games. And I like to play some retro commercials. And I put in a commercial of Barnyard Commandos. And I was like, so th- I think a lot of people aren't going to know what this is. I'm so happy to hear Barnyard Commandos <laughs> in there. We'll give you the pass on not knowing the movie line is from Back to the Future. Ah, well, either way, Sam, I think that's definitely a level up. On account of oh, Barnyard Commandos brought it home. <laughs> I love that show as a child. Sam, once again, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. We had a great time talking with you. Can't wait to mm-hmm. see you at a con coming up here sometime soon. Before we leave, you got the floor. Let the adventurers know where they can see more about BA games and all the stuff that you have and things that are coming up. Floors are yours, whatever you want to uh, pitch here. So to come find us, the best place is our website, which is bagamesco.com. Mm-hmm. Just go there, and we have Cold of the Deep, Forge of Ravenshire, a lot of our links, which you'll be able to get to different places, like our rule books and things. So that's always available to you. Sign up for our email list, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, because that's the best place <laughs> where we'll be able to you know, keep you informed without you doing much other than be like, huh, what are they doing? Oh, that's nice. And then mm-hmm. just close it out. It's fine. We get that. Just kind of like a little reminder of what we're doing. And then obviously, when you go to a convention, come say hi to us. We love seeing people and just saying hi to everybody. And I'm just- telling you what adventures. These guys are fun. Do yes. go say hi to them. Uh, I think I caught you and your brother fighting. I asked you guys oh, who yeah. would win in a fight and uh, the throwdown. Uh, a, a regular hootenanny almost occurred. Right in the middle oh, yes. of Gen Con. That is very true. And <laughs> the answer to that is he would likely win unless we got into wrestling. And I would win because I would just sit down. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We'll put the link in the show notes. Uh, Sam, thank you again. We really appreciate you coming on Level Up. And uh, just like Scott, I'm looking forward to seeing you at Gen Con. Maybe we'll, uh, maybe we'll buy you a root beer. In the plastic bottles. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Scott. Where we're going, we don't need roads. Oh, Doc Brown, my navigator in life. Mm-hmm. Boy, oh boy. Back to the future. Oh, that's a uh, rough one. Scott, can you Sam. name a Pittsburgh pirate? Uh, a, a, a current, current A current. Oh, jeez. <laughs> you don't get to you say Roberto Clemente or Barry Bonds. Yeah, well, I was going to go Willie Stargell or Kit Tocolvi or... Oh, you're going way uh, back. Well, we'll let Sam slide on that one there. But the Back to the Future thing, we're going to have to have... That's unacceptable. That you know, <laughs> That's what we'll do at Origins. He'll be like, what do you guys want to play? And you just, we'll break out a, a little television, an old, like uh, a 1988 TV. You, have, you bring the VCR. All right. Make sure the tape is rewound. We'll be like, Sam, sit down. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Why don't you take a seat? It'll be like, I've seen it, guys. I just forgot the question. No, you sit down. <laughs> <laughs> but no, we're so appreciative of Sam taking the time and talking with us. He's going off a of Cult of the Deep, and he's going off of this game right now. 
So maybe we'll give them a pass on this. Yeah. Yeah. One thing that I got to say with BA games, this is their second game. This is a sophomore game. And oftentimes with a newer company, you see four, five, six games before they start to hit their stride. Now, it feels like they know what they're doing. They're producing Mm -hmm. good stuff off the bat. Yes, yes, very much so. And I liked whenever we saw them at PAX, just the camaraderie amongst him and his brother there and the fun that was going on at the booth. And that's something that's very important that you want to see. I mean, they have a combined vision of what they want to do. And I'm really excited to see what comes out from them. And they're warm the folks. I'm telling you what, you have oh, an opportunity yes. adventures. You're, you're walking through that hall this year, come Origins, come Gen Con, and you see BA Games. You walk up, you say, hey, I, I heard Sam on Level Up. He's not going to be like, yes, that's me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, no. Dude's going to give you no. a hug and give you a drink or something. He's he's like family. <laughs> I, I love it. Yeah, yeah. He Great, great personality. Definitely stop by, say hi, check out their games. And keep your eyes on Kickstarter for Forges of Ravenshire. Um, well, uh, I, I, I think we shot our bolt and yeah. um, you want to do your thing? I'd love to. Hey, adventurers, get on back and listen to episode 90. We talk about Brazil Imperial Katia from Board Game Art Creations. Scott, she does these wonderful mosaics. She joins us last week, tells us all about it. And Tolerance from Dragon Dawn Productions is one of our preview games we had the chance to talk about. Next week, episode 92 is going to be a massive episode. We've got a fun game that we're looking to review. We're going to talk a little bit about video game crossovers. And hey, buddy, it's going to be that time. We will have 10 reviews under our belt we got a top five next week oh i'm all set to go here but let's just in this so we can go do a uh, 92 thank you adventurers for joining us for this episode of the level up board game podcast we encourage all adventurers to check out our website at levelupgamepodcast.com that's where you can submit your thoughts and audio to be used in a future episode Please consider rating us on iTunes, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, and join the Board Game Geek Guild, Guild 3722. Music for the podcast provided by Adam Haynes and the Heatley Brothers. And remember, whether in hobby or in life, always do what you can to level up.